I um, never like it when something happens right before the sermon that I have to think, oh, now i got to compose myself before I get up there and do this. So, um, yeah, that's awesome. Thanks, Emily. Um, so we're going to look at uh, uh, Matthew uh, 6, the latter part of it, uh, today and next week. And the theme that Jesus is going to develop in this is uh, our hearts and money. And so... Um, uh, we'll, we'll, uh, this week we'll talk um, uh, about it, and then next week we'll talk about how uh, our, the recognition that God is our shepherd and our Father uh, helps us with that. So, but before I read the text, let me pray, and then we'll dive in this morning. Lord, uh, we thank you today <clears throat> that uh, we can uh, entrust ourselves fully to you. We, we live in a world where there is violence and poverty, where there is difficulty, pain, and suffering, where there are challenges. Uh, and uh, they, But worse than that, Lord, there are so many things that compete for our affections. Uh, and uh, we are swept about uh, by those things so often, and that uh, we forget how big and great, deep, your love is. So help us today, we pray, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So Matthew 6, 19 through 24, text is in the bulletin, also up on uh, the screens behind me. Uh, this is God's word. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve... God and money. When I was five years old, uh, my dad uh, purchased a sick, uh, tiny runt of a little bull calf and gave it to me, which, you know, we all do that for our five-year-olds, don't we? And, uh, and told me to, uh, to raise that calf. And so um, I, uh, early in the morning, I would go and feed him. He, we kept him in a stall in our barn, and at night I would go check on him and feed him. And uh, about 13 months after this, uh, I loaded him up on uh, a trailer, and we took him to the auction uh, barn, and we sold him. And I went into the office at the auction barn, and the lady behind the window wrote me a check for $68.34 which in 1965 was about $2 million in today's <laughs> dollars, right? Um, and so I didn't know what a check was. I had this thing and with things on it, and my parents were making over it so much, I didn't know what to do. And I asked my dad, what are we going to do with this? He says, well, tomorrow we're going to go to the bank, and you're going you're gonna to put it in the bank. So the next day we went to the Huntersville uh, Savings Bank, and... Uh, put that money in there, and they gave me a little book, and it was gold that had the number in it, 
Now, my mom and dad were, uh, grew up very poor in grinding poverty, and we were not wealthy uh, by any stretch of the imagination then. But what I remember about that is, is the esteem that they held me in because I had money in the bank. They praised me so much that it created a neural pathway in my brain. It impressed upon me something that's true about me to this day, and it's this. I love money. I love it. (laughs) Now, I, I might not have a lot of it, but boy, do I love it. I love it so much. And, and one of the things that's unique about my love of money that may be a little different from your love of money, uh, your love of money, uh, is this, that um, some people love money for the stuff that it can get them. You know? Uh, and I have a little bit of that, but I just love it. I, I don't really care about the stuff. In fact... I get more pleasure not buying things than I do just looking at my computer screen at my bank balance. Uh, Marty and I are really different that way. She, she gets pleasure out of buying shoes and purses, and I'm convinced every time I spend any money, for even if it's for something that I desperately need, I am taking two steps to the poorhouse, right? So uh, I get more pleasure just out of hoarding holding on to. I just love it. I love it so much. You love it too. A lot. And let me tell you, some of you are really good at loving it. I can tell. You've been very successful. God's been good. And we should be grateful for that. And some of you haven't done that great. You struggle, and you know what? You love it too. It's not just a rich man's sin, right? So why would Jesus bite off something like this to talk to us about? Well, that's what we're going to think about over the next uh, uh, couple of Sundays to Uh, to kind of get at this. When God created the garden and he put our first parents there, Adam and Eve, uh, they knew nothing but abundance. They knew nothing but joy. They knew nothing but God's rich and full fellowship. And not only that, but they had that with one another. And uh, it never occurred to them that they would never have enough And it never occurred to them that one of them might have more than the other. They simply delighted in and enjoyed the full provision that their creator had given them. And so what we read there in Genesis chapter 3 is something that connects very directly to the text that we've read today. And that's how our eyes and the focus of our attention and the, the focus of our hearts leads us astray. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good, she saw it, for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. 
Jesus says, you know, obviously that we're supposed to store up uh, uh, treasures in heaven and not here on earth. And then he goes on to say that our eye, uh, if, if our eye is bad, that that will lead us into darkness. And, and, and so one of the things that we have to see about that is that these things are connected, right? The fact is we are driven and uh, our attentions are, we are captivated by certain things. And we're, we're, we're made that way. God, God made us to be captivated by beauty. He made us to be captivated by his goodness. He made us to be captivated by his grace. He made us to be captivated by one another. And he made us to be captivated by the goodness of his creation and the provision that he gives to us. But what happens to us is, is that we become fixated upon those things. We become, our hearts get tied to those things, and we begin to look at these good things, these good gifts that God gives us as the givers of life, as the things that are, give us uh, meaning and purpose. I mean, think about this for a second. When Adam and Eve, that first night when God sent them out of the garden, what was life like for them? For as they laid their head down that night to go to sleep, for the first time in their lives, they knew that they could hurt each other. That was terrible. They knew that their uh, unbroken communion with God had, or, uh, had been broken. But they also realized that for the first time in their lives, they might go without. They might not have enough. And one of them might have more than the other. And so since that, next slide please, AJ, since that, that thing, uh, since that fall in the garden, competitiveness to get more than the other, anxiety, fear of, of, of not having enough, uh, all of those things have been a part of our lives. As we've looked over our shoulders at the possibility that we might, have an, might not have enough or that someone else might have more than us. And so our fixation then becomes upon making sure that that doesn't happen. And not only that, 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 what, that it's not just that we have this pursuit of money. It's the fact that we believe that it will give to us something that only God can give to us. That it will provide us with security. That it will provide us with significance where we can say, well, I got more than that guy does, Right? And so Jesus understands that about us, and he comes right at us to talk to us about that. Now, next week, we're going to talk a lot more about anxiety uh, and, and, and the fear of not having enough. But what I, what I want us to look at today is just the fact that this thing of money is, is dangerous. It's dangerous. And that's why Jesus is warning us about it. Now, now, I know, you know, the, uh, one of my favorite verses and one of your favorite verses, if you've ever struggled with conviction over the sin of hoarding and, and, and uh, holding on to things yourself, as Paul says, right, that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And so, you know, it's not money that's bad. It's, it's, it's my heart with it. Well, that's, that, that is absolutely true. But the fact of the matter is because that money is out there and because it is so enticing and so captivating and drives me so much, it's dangerous. It's very dangerous. 
right? And, and I might uh, give my heart and my life to that because I can see it, I can feel it, I can see the number, I can, I can experience the impact that that has in my here and now, and it can blot out the reality of the world that the here and now is only temporary and that what God has for me in eternity is bigger, greater, and goes on forever and ever, right? So if you, find, if you have money and find your greatest joy in it, it will kill you. If you don't have it and crave it, it can kill you. Money can kill us because it reveals our hearts, and our hearts are revealed by what our eyes focus upon. And so we give ourselves to it. And so it becomes, in a sense, our master. It drives us to certain behaviors. It drives us to certain desires. It drives us to be a certain way. Now, let's, let me be clear about this. Just because it's dangerous doesn't mean that it's, it, it's bad. But our tendency to grasp after these things and to think that life is found or that our hearts will be fulfilled somehow or other in the accumulation of this thing called money leads us to death. It just leads us to death. And Jesus, Jesus knows that. That's why he says that one master, you can't serve both. One master kills and one gives life, right? Jesus loves us and does not want us to be making bad investments, isn't it funny how he talks about this, right? He says he knows that human beings are going to be laying up treasures, that we're, going to, that we're going to be trying to pile up and accumulate somewhere, right? And so what he says to us is, listen, this is a good thing. Put your energy, your heart, your, your, what captivates you towards what will give you life, towards where the life-giving love and grace and provision of your heavenly Father is, rather than thinking that you can pour yourself into these things that you can have now that are at, at best temporary and at worst deadly. Right? Next slide. So uh, I think we all know what it means to lay up treasures here and now right? I think, I think everybody understands that uh, the, the value of thrift and the value of holding on to things, the value of making smart investments and uh, the value of savings and, and all of that kind of stuff. I think we all, we all understand that. Uh, but what does it mean to lay up heavenly treasures? I mean, are you somehow or other thinking that every time you, you drop a, a gift in the offering plate, God's going to, you know, God smiles upon that, and suddenly he's going to give you more, you know? Or that if you uh, uh, somehow or other, you, by doing this, you're piling up, putting God on the hook, right, an obligation to you because you've given or you've been generous, then now God needs to be more generous to you. I don't think, I don't think that's what that is. I think rather when Jesus says, listen, what, what you want to be about is you want to be rich towards your Father in heaven. You want to stack up treasures in heaven. He's, he's telling us about where our focus is and where our heart is, right? And, and the trust that comes from that, from recognizing that our heavenly Father is the source of life and ultimately the source of riches and wealth to us. When God makes his covenant with Abraham, one of the things that he says to him in Genesis 15 is something that's very profound. He says, don't be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Your very great reward. What does God mean by that? What is he getting at with that? Well, the fact is that, that God is the reward, is, is reward enough himself. 
that his gift to us of, of communion with him, of knowing him, of being known by him, of the grace that is ours in Jesus Christ, the, the trust that we have that our Father cares for us and provides for us and sees to our need, the fact that, that uh, as a good father that he loves to give good gifts to his children, that when we're animated by that, when we're, we're, we're uh, captivated by our Father, then we see this gift of money because then it becomes a gift and not a master as something that God gives to us to steward for his glory and for the good of others. And so that's, that's, the, the, that's the kind of thing that, that, that he's, he's getting at here is that God himself is our, our reward. And if I begin to believe that, then my focus becomes on something other than simple accumulation of wealth. Now, here's, here's the thing, too, that is uh, 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 true for us. You know, how can I begin to think about whether and answer the question, am I laying up uh, uh, treasures in heaven? Next slide, please, AJ. So, John Piper says this. I think the answer here, trying to figure that out, is uh, of how you provide for yourselves treasures in heaven is that you take your money and you show your freedom from it. It's not your God. It is not certainly your ultimate treasure. So if you love people and you want people to love God, you're displaying the love of God to them by sharing more and more of what you have. And in doing that, your joy in God, your treasuring of him increases. Because see, this is the thing that is so, so hard for us to do that. We just don't believe that. Frankly, let's, let's be clear. We just... It's, it's, it's hard for us to believe that because I can't see it, I can't touch it. And, 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 and so how can we begin to understand the warning that Jesus is giving us here and rest in his love as he does that? Well, there's four things that I want you to remember today. Is this, first, you're rich because God is rich toward you. What does that mean? The scripture says, uh, remember the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he became poor, so that through you, through his poverty, might become rich. The very heart of God, the very nature of God, is to sacrifice, to give up that which is most precious to him for our redemption. If God has given us his only son, if God uh, could lavish grace upon grace to people who would, be, who would tend to love money more than him, if that's who he is, if that is what he has done, then I can take him at his word and I can entrust myself and, and my, my, my investments and my life and my heart and know that he is for me, that he is with me, and that this money is not a marker of significance, and it's not even a, a curb or a hedge against insecurity. It is simply one of the ways that God has provided for me and that I can take it in gratitude and I can be free and easy, that he pries my hands off of holding on to these things. Secondly, what we recognize is, is that Jesus became poor so that we might be rich. Now, you know, I say this verse a lot. This is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible because I think for many of us, we, we see that and we read this text and we think, how can that be true? 
How can it be true that God can say that to us? Well, I think the, 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 the fact of the matter is what, what we see there in the gospel of, as we've already prayed today, that we would take up our cross, is that what we think is, is that the cross is only death. But the death of the cross leads to rich redemption, leads to joy in heaven, leads to the joy and the, the, uh, uh, the, the delight of God in heaven over the people that he's won. You see, this is the thing that is, is so important for us to, to understand about this today is that when I spend myself and my resources, my resources, the resources that God has entrusted to me for the sake of others, I begin to look a tiny bit like the family, like, like the God who is my father, right? Third, let me be clear about this. I don't know if you believe this or not, but there is a heaven. Right? Right? I mean, so often, what do we act like? Well, we act like, you know, it's all here, and we're going to run like crazy and accumulate like crazy, and we're going to do everything we can to make heaven here and now with, with, with very little thought to what it is that God has prepared for us in eternity. Right? So Jesus is very clear about this. Listen, there's, there, is, there is a heaven, there is an eternity that is greater, bigger, lasts longer, all of those things than, than where we are and, and the things that we see and the things that we grapple with even now. You know, uh, one of the things that, that, that happens to you when, uh, when you reach a certain age is you, you come to grips with the fact like, okay, you know, am I going to run out of money? Right? That's all, the, all those ads, you know, for all those investment houses and retirement gurus and all that kind of stuff. They want you to be afraid you're going to run out of money. And some of you are, right? I mean, some of us will. We'll run out of life, too. But the fact is, the, 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 the reality for us is that what Jesus is saying is, listen, there is something greater than what we see now. But secondly, there's a God, and this God sees you and understands that the, the nature of your heart, and that is why he is constantly in love and grace and mercy warning his children that our tendency is to make bad decisions, that we will give our lives and our hearts to things that don't last, and in fact, things that will in the end go away. For years, we had this giant deck on the back of our house, and we finally took it down, and I'm trying to get grass to grow in my backyard. We've never had grass growing in our backyard, and I've spent a lot of time and energy over the last couple of years trying to get this grass to grow in my backyard. I want, I want a grassy place for my grandsons to play. I didn't really have, want that for my kids. I guess <laughs> something changed there, but anyway, I want a really grassy, nice place for my grandsons to play, and and to do all of that kind of stuff. So I have been working so hard at that. And, and one of the things that, you know, we're, you know, in the West End, we all have yard righteousness. We, we love our green grass. We compete with one another for the better yard. And, you know, let's, let's green it up and let's pour the money into it and all of that kind of stuff. So, so every fall, you know, I aerate 
and I sow the seed, and I enrich Henrico County by watering it like the, a crazy man, and just on and on and on. And I was looking at it yesterday, and I'm like, you know, so much of this grass that I planted back in September is dead. And I know that it's going to die, so what I did back in the fall is I bought a lot of extra seed with the idea that, all right, I will, I, it's, it's dumb to sow it in the spring, but at least you get about six weeks of green out of it before it dies again. So I'm like, I'll do that. So I went into my shed to get my grass seed, and you know what? God sent a plague of mice to my shed. So God provided for the mice this winter. And just looking at the hole in the bottom of those sacks was just so disconcerting. It's good to have a hole in your sack. Because it's going away. Right? Um, and fourth, I want to be repetitive about this. Uh, God knows your heart. Jesus knows that we are, we will give ourselves to that which goes away that we are so often taken by money and fear and anger and competitiveness with one another, that that's why he tells us this, and that's why he moves towards us in grace and mercy and love. That's why he gives us this table as an opportunity for us to confess Lord, we love, we're tempted to love money more than you. Forgive us. And his word to us is, look at the feast. Look at the grace. Look at the riches. Look at eternity. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom." Oh, uh-huh.
in uh, confessing our sins. Most merciful God, whose Son, Son Jesus, Jesus Christ, Christ was, was tempted, tempted in every way, yet was without sin, we confess before you our own sinfulness. We have hungered after that which does not satisfy. We have compromised with evil. We have doubted your power to protect us. We have been obsessed with creating a life of constant pleasure. We have been indifferent to the treasure of heaven. We have neglected your wise and gracious law. Forgive our lack of faith. Have mercy on our weakness. Restore in us such trust and love that we may walk in your ways and delight in doing your will. Amen. Brothers and sisters, hear the good news. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 